actually have two readings. Genesis 50 and Joshua 24. Uh, You don't have to turn there with me if you don't want to. It is actually a topical message, and so uh, I won't really stay in these texts the whole time. So I'll read from Genesis 50, starting at verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then Judges, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Joshua, chapter 24, starting at verse 29. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Sirah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaish. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we can rely upon it for truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us now by the power of your Holy Spirit into speaking and hearing and believing and obeying the truth. We ask you now to be with us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The uh, topic, uh, the title is Burying Bones. And uh, the topic is actually came to me a few months ago uh, because I overheard a conversation and it had to do with cremation and it caused me to look into it and it was uh, kind of to my horror that I learned that many, many Christians are embracing embracing cremation nowadays and uh, I thought, well, is there any merit in what they're doing? And so I studied it and I chose this topic uh, long ago. And then Wednesday when uh, Kathy called me, and I can see she's already got the tissue out, which I might have before we finish here too, uh, she called me to tell me that her mom had died. And so I asked her, I said, well, would you be comfortable with me preaching on this topic? I can change to something else. She said, no, no, God's providence. We'll go ahead with it. So uh, that's the topic. It's uh, essentially burial and cremation, as you can see from the outline that you received. Or actually, that's not an outline. Phil would, Phil would laugh if I called that an outline. <laughs> Those are just questions. Uh, as I read this, I was, of course, it was topical, and so I was seeking a text. What would be the appropriate text in order to couch this topical sermon? And I read through this, and I was amazed. And I thank Gary because he gave me the booklet 
that I found this in, and I've read the Bible many times. I love Genesis. I love Joshua. And so I've read these portions of text repeatedly, but never connected the dots. And to me, it's just amazing. Uh, Our text today points to the fact that Joseph was placed in a coffin in Egypt hundreds of years before he was eventually buried in Canaan. So what I ask you is this. What happened those hundreds of years to that coffin? When he was buried, he was probably held in high regard in Egypt. Jacob, his father, had been given 70 days of honor in Egypt. The Pharaoh himself received 72 days of honor. So, I mean, the Jews were received into Egypt as the saviors that they were. But there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. That's how Exodus starts out. Very sad turn of events. And so somewhere along the line then, even if Joseph's body was originally held in some form of state building where they had him on display, like they have Lenin over in Russia. Maybe they now got him out back. I don't know. But uh, anyway, his body was probably honored for a long time. Yet, as time went on, And as the Jews became a burden to the Egyptians, as opposed to the saviors that they had held them to be before, where did his body go? Well, it was obviously retained because they, he had made them promise that they would take it up there. And they did. And they took it up to Canaan. And and, and then eventually it wandered around with them for 40 years in the wilderness. So they've got this hearse, essentially, that's traveling in the wilderness with them. And yet eventually it does come to rest. So now, who kept it? What's logical? It's logical that his family kept it, right? And so Joseph had two sons. He had Ephraim and Manasseh. And so you don't see a tribe of Joseph in the Holy Land, right? No. You have the half-tribes. Levi's pulled out, and Ephraim and Manasseh get a double portion. Joseph is treated like the older son, even though he was the next to the youngest son of Jacob. But yet he gets the double portion. And It was one of his sons then, Ephraim or Manasseh, that retained that body, and most likely Ephraim. Even though Manasseh was the firstborn, remember, Jacob had had switched his hands. So now we come to why I read from Joshua. Joshua was 110 years old when he died, just like Joseph. Joshua was an Ephraimite. He was a descendant of Joseph. And do you think it's a coincidence that it's at Joseph's Uh, death and burial that you now have Jacob also come in or uh, 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 Joshua come in later and reference his death and burial. They're together. It was Joshua, the second in command, one of the 12 spies that had gone into Canaan, who was responsible for that coffin, responsible for that body. How many generations had passed since then? I mean, he's like you know, uh, Joseph's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson or something. I don't know. But yet, it had been a long time. What is that in our living room? It's a coffin. You know, where did they keep it? I don't know. They hid it in the hills. At some points, you would think that the Egyptians probably wanted to find it. They might have known that this was some kind of source of hope of the Jews. And if anything, the Egyptians wanted to crush hope amongst the Jews, crush opposition. So I'm sure at some point they had to hide that coffin. 
This is not something that they wanted the Egyptians finding out about it. If they were killing off all the male babies, they didn't want any hope. They didn't want any savior coming. Now, the message today is simple. Normally, I like people guessing where I'm going, but I gave you an outline, so so you can see that I'm kind of not making you guess. Although I did put a surprise ending on the end, and so Scott demanded that I tell him even before he gave the announcements. And I said no, and I picked up my Bible where my notes were, and I said, you're not, you're not learning it till everybody else does. <laughs> but I find that I myself like mystery, and, and I try to convey mystery as I speak up here. But today, I'm essentially hitting this topic head on. I think it's the only way you can. My premise is this. My premise is simple. Christians should be buried, not burned. Many Christians defend cremation as being within the realm of Christian liberty. And I believe their defense to be weak, exceedingly weak. And that's why I chose this topic. I want to talk to you about this. When I'm up here, it's like I'm in the family room of our church. I'm up here to tell you the truth. I'm not up here to be tactful, uh, overly anyway. I try to be tactful. But, but it's like, you know, we'll have the memorial service for Virginia tomorrow. That, that wouldn't be the appropriate place, I don't think, for a message like this. But yet here we are in the family room. We discuss this. We have to hammer through the details of this. And honestly, if at the end of this you're unconvinced, I, I, I can accept that. But I would hope that you would at least make a biblical study of it. So I believe God clearly wants his faithful children to practice burial. And I will try to convince you of that. Uh, my outline is very similar to your, uh, your sheet. I, I ask six, six questions and I have the ending. Uh, why is cremation increasing in popularity? Why is burial declining in popularity? What are the arguments for and against cremation? What are the arguments for and against burial? And then this surprise at the end. Now, the fact that cremation is popular uh, can't be disputed. It's popular in this country. And, and, you know, we could talk about the world, but I'm not that concerned about it. I'm really focusing on America. In, uh, in the 1800s, cremation was very, very rare. It, did, it was unheard of before the 1870s, but then it began to just kind of trickle in. And really, by the turn of the century, 1900, you still had far less than 5%. By 1965, you had 15%, which is getting to a reasonable level, like one out of seven. And then by 2007, just three years ago, you had 35%. A third of all the people in this country were being cremated. Now, in California, which we know leads the nation, it is a leading indicator of what the rest of the country will accept, well over 50% right now. And so I have no doubt that that cremation will continue to grow in numbers to sweep this nation. But I just hope none of you are in that number. the estimates of, by the Cremation Society of America or whatever, which I think have an have a in, inherent desire to inflate these numbers, uh, they think it will be over 50% within 15 years, over 50% within 15 years. So we'll see. Now, what are the reasons for it? Why is it growing in popularity? I have four reasons. There could be a lot more, but when I researched it, these came up all the time. First, well, three of the four did. Costs. A typical funeral and burial uh, costs over $6,000, and that's not counting the burial plot you have to purchase and the headstone you'll place on that burial plot. So that's six grand just for essentially all the services related to death, the purchase of the coffin, the, the viewings, and all these things. And 
In addition, you then also need a plot of ground, and you want to put a tombstone on that plot of ground that honors your loved one. So it's very expensive. A cremation without services of any kind, so you're not having to pay anybody to publicly do anything. All you have to do is have the body cremated. Uh, that costs you maybe $1,000, $1,200, something like that. Much, much more uh, cost-efficient. Second one, and this is the one I kind of... It's environmental or environmentally friendly, which we know appeals to the bulk of this nation anymore. You use no land. You're not putting anybody in the ground. You use less wood because you're not burning a, a, a huge, uh, real uh, coffin when you cremate someone. You're burning a cardboard coffin, essentially. And uh, you're not putting any wood in the ground. You're not putting a vault, a big metal vault in the ground. You're not putting concrete in the ground with an embalmed body that has formaldehyde in it. So the environmentalists like it. They think this is a much better way to go going forward. Now, I think one of the other ones also is that it is sentimental and nostalgic, and I want to read you what I believe typifies the view of people that hold a cremation. And this is an author unknown. Burn what is left of me and scatter the ashes to the wind to help the flowers grow. If you must bury something, let it be my faults, my weaknesses, and all my prejudices against my fellow man. Give my soul to God. If by chance you wish to remember me, do it with a kind deed or word to someone who needs you. If you do all I have asked, I will live forever. I believe that really captures the essence of why many people are cremated. That's just their view of everything. They just think it's a very romantic thing to do. And also, scattering ashes is becoming very, very popular. There are lots of stipulations about it that are on the books. But really, if you've got a pocket full of something with ashes, I mean, how are you going to get stopped? You can't. You, it's really the law-abiding citizen that will try to get all these permits for the most part. They're not going to bother. People will just basically go to the favorite place that their loved one liked, some lake or park, and they just start spreading them around. That's where they want their loved one to be for eternity. <laughs> But uh, scattering ashes is popular. Now, what I was surprised by is that there are other uses for these ashes that are quickly growing in popularity. Now, anybody who's watched Star Trek knows that humans are carbon-based life forms, right? <laughs> and carbon is, under pressure and heat, turned into diamonds. And so you can have your loved one converted into jewelry, pendants, various things. It's very popular. Because now, this sentimental, nostalgic desire to have your loved one with you can be attained. You have jewelry now that commemorates them. And actually, there are, there are companies that actually will take your loved one's ashes, put them into tennis rackets, bowling balls. I mean, it's just crazy what you can do now with ashes. There are laws about this, but the laws are being expanded to allow for this. You can have your loved one shot into space. That's what happened with Gene Roddenberry's ashes back in 1997. He paid to have his uh, ashes shot into space. It costs under $1,000 to get a little bit of that done. People pay it. You can have them either go into space in orbit or you can have them shot out into deep space. I think that probably costs more because you have to have more energy to shoot it farther, you know, out of orbit. But, uh, but anyway, this is the world we live in. This is how we're treating the, the corpses of our loved ones. And you can kind of understand it. I mean, I can. Let me get to the last one. And I believe this one is appealing to people. 
convenience. We are a culture that craves convenience. And what do you do with someone who's died? It's very costly. And then, too, you have this, this place now that you feel incumbent to go to. And most of us just aren't deeply rooted. I, honestly, I mean, Omaha, if anybody's deeply rooted in this nation, it's the Midwest. When, when we moved here, we were not deeply rooted, but everybody else was. Holidays, boom, everybody disappeared. Christmas, you know, Easter, is just, you know, you just didn't see people. They're all at home with their extended family. Whereas out in California, you saw everybody all the time. Nobody went to visit family, it seemed. So I believe convenience is one of the major factors driving this. It just makes it easy. You don't have to make a lot of decisions. You don't have to go pick a cemetery. You don't have to pick a tombstone. You don't have to pick a funeral home, really, if you don't want to. And so all of this makes it convenient for modern Americans. So the next one is why is burial declining in popularity? And honestly, it's the opposite of all I just said. That's pretty much the major arguments. But there is one more that I've kind of hinted at, and that is our anchors to the land are quickly eroding away. People tended to always live in the same communities, and yet many of us could tell the story. Well, I was born here. I went to school here. I got my first job there. I've lived here, here, there, there, and everywhere. You know, and, and we just don't have deep roots. We might wind up someplace and uh, stay there for a while, but uh, that's not typical of most Americans. We're a transient society. Now, what are the arguments for cremation? Uh, we'll first discuss any extra-biblical arguments that are there, and then any biblical arguments that are there. And the first I've already covered, all of the practical concerns, that's the main arguments. But now, when we get to the biblical considerations, you have to realize that most people don't care about the biblical considerations. And I'm speaking not only about unbelievers. Most Christians really don't care. I mean, they just don't really think God's Word has a whole lot to say about a whole lot of stuff that they do. And if you dare to tell them, then you're the bad guy. They don't want to hear that type of stuff. They don't want to hear that God's word and, and uh, these biblical uh, practices are binding upon them in any way. They want the freedom to throw that off. Uh, the unbeliever, the average unbeliever, essentially lives their lives saying, I don't care what God says, even if he exists. Uh, but the non-Christians, I mean the Christians also just really aren't curious about what God has to say about things. They're just flowing along with culture. And the Christians that are embracing cremation, I believe, are just flowing along with culture. They have nobody in the pulpit telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Are there biblical arguments for cremation? And this is a good question. Nearly any Christian who advocates cremation seeks biblical justification when they're opposed in their views. Well, God did burn up many people. So perhaps you might argue God believes in cremation. But I would say, no, it's execution that God does. He brings the fire down upon them and kills them with it. We're not doing that. The body is hopefully dead when it's cremated in our society. So God burned up Sodom and Gomorrah, Nadab and Abihu, the soldiers that came to uh, ask Elijah to leave them. You know, 100 men, Next, second time, 100 men, fire from heaven. Third time, don't, don't, don't kill me, please. You know, that man learned humility. But uh, and then even Job's servants in uh, Job 1, they die through fire. Fire drops from heaven and kills a lot of Job's servants and his cattle in the field. So fire, when it drops from heaven, it's typically killing something. 
And so it's not really the intention to cremate them. Now, though human bodies are burned by people in the Bible in two different instances that could be argued are instances of cremation, and let's talk about them. Joshua 7, verse 15, Achan's family, the one who had stolen the silver and the garments from Jericho when they sacked it, he and his whole family, every, every breathing uh, critter or person in his home was brought out and stoned. And again, hopefully to death. The Bible isn't clear, but then they burned them. And so I believe they're dead. They stoned them to death. They burned the bodies, and then they pile rocks all over it. And it said it was here till this day. I mean, they put a big pile of rocks on Achan's family somewhere else between uh, Ai and Jericho. And then we have 1 Samuel 31, verses 11 and forward. You have the instance of Saul and his sons, not just Jonathan, but it mentions sons, being burned. The uh, men of Jabesh-Gilead had gone and removed Saul and his sons from the wall. They had been pinned to the wall and basically humiliated and and the bodies had been uh, probably messed with by the soldiers the enemy soldiers that had uh, defeated them and then uh, Jabesh Gilead the people went there removed them from the thing burned them and then buried them and then later David has them exhumed brought back to Jerusalem and buried with honors so these two examples are far from normative and the bones are buried in each case so you can't prove cremation from this all you can prove is that uh, cremation is a possibility before burial but burial must occur because in both instances the bones are buried that were burned and so in no place did they just burn people like in a funeral pyre like they do with in these nordic movies and stuff so the strongest biblical argument is this it's not what i just mentioned in these two texts the strongest biblical argument for cremation is christian liberty People say, this is just a choice that God gives me from his word. Now, that is a good viewpoint. That is defensible. And so that is what we really have to pursue. Is cremation a valid option to Christians because there is uh, no uh, statement, clear statement that dictates that only burial suffices? So that's the question. But let me first clarify what Christian liberty is and is not. Christian liberty is essentially choice. It's saying God has given you this choice because he's not prescribed in his word what is required. The Westminster Confession has this to say in chapter 1, verse 6. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. So in other words, what chapter 1 Uh, Paragraph 6 of the Westminster Confession says is this, just because there isn't an explicit command doesn't mean through derivation you see that this is what God wants because he clearly describes all these situations and he advocates this and he rules out this. So that's what the confession says in 1.6. Now, on the Free Church of Scotland website, I found a great article and it kind of comments on this, an exposition, if you will, a commentary on 1.6, and it says this, That which may be derived by good and necessary consequence from the express statements of Scripture is no less binding than an express command itself. So the question is this. Does the Bible portray burial as normative and cremation as non-normative? To me, that's the question. 
That is the extent of Christian liberty. If you can show someone who's advocating Christian liberty that it is not normative to cremate people, but it is normative to bury people, then I believe they must submit to that. That's what the Bible teaches, and, and that's kind of where my surprise comes in at the end. I'll keep dropping hints on that maybe if I remember. What are the arguments against cremation? Well, first, nations that practice cremation often do so for religious reasons. They're pursuing it religiously. We're pursuing it for our convenience. I find that ironic. The first cremation in America occurred in 1876, and it was accompanied by readings from Darwin's Origin of the Species and the Hindu Scriptures. And cremations, like I said, remained very, very low in volume until the 50s. What are the biblical arguments against cremation? The main biblical argument against cremation is this. Fire is judgment in the Bible. Fire is brought down upon people and it judges them. And I've already talked about some of them. There is not one instance of burning a body as opposed to burying it. And in Saul's case, he was burned, as I said, and then buried twice. In Amos 2.1, and here, you might want to turn here, Hosea Joel Amos. It's the third book of the minor prophets. In Amos 2.1, we read this. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. And the first one, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Now, you might not remember the past of the Moabites and the Edomites. Remember, Lot had two children to his daughters. Those were the Moabites and the Ammonites. Those were the nations. And then the Edomites were from the line of Esau. So see, they were all family. At a point in time, through Abram and Lot, they were family. And even though God had selected Abram's seed Isaac and then Isaac's seed Jacob, he didn't want that immediate family fighting with each other. He didn't want them killing each other. When they came out of Egypt, he directed them all the way around them. You will not attack them, he said. He was not allowed to. So see, God is judging the one that's not uh, of Isaac's line for having killed the other who's not of Isaac's line. And he's putting it here in his word. So he's condemning them for having burned this king to nothing. And that's pretty much what we do in cremation. We burn the body, and then we grind up the bones and place them in an urn. It's kind of a texture of sand. And that's what they'd done to that king. And that's what God judged them for. Now, uh, what are the arguments against burial? I'll begin with the against for burial, because I have a lot more of, of evidence for it. But again, we... We have all of the, and we're talking non-biblical evidence here. Again, we have the cost and all the other conveniences I talked to you about. And uh, as a matter of fact, in India, in Mumbai, India, the Christians are finding it extremely difficult to bury their dead. They want to bury their dead. In Hindu culture, you burn bodies to release the spirit. It's a part of their religion. And so the Christian Indians do not want to burn their dead. And yet their cemeteries are so full of bodies and they can't get any more because the cities don't want to allow them to bury their bodies because that's a custom that Indians don't want to propagate, that they have coffins stacked multiple deep, and it's just getting very difficult in Mumbai, India, to bury your dead. And yet it's a challenge that they, they meet by attacking it. 
they're, they're not just giving up. They're not just burning their dead. Oh, okay, we don't have any room in the graveyard. I'm going to burn them then. No, no. They're going to wait. They're going to find a place to bury that person. They're going to break the law if need be to bury that person. So now, uh, what are the biblical arguments against burial? That was just kind of other arguments. What are biblical? None. I don't see any biblical arguments against burial. Honestly, let me share with you some where not being buried is a punishment for people. Jeremiah 16, 4. They shall not be buried. They shall be like refuse. To not be buried is to be judged as not deserving the honor of burial. 2 Kings 9. The body of Jezebel is eaten before Jehu could have her buried. He goes in to eat. He has her eunuchs throw her. She crashes on the ground. He goes in, has a meal. He says, men, go out there and bury her. She is the daughter of a king. They go out to get her. And all that's left is her skull and her hands and her feet. That's all that's left. The dogs have eaten everything else. And yet that was a prophecy against Jeroboam's seed. And so that's what Jehu says. He was even aware of the prophecy. But he went on to live and not really seek to follow God. And here he was aware of the prophecy and not really even attempting to fulfill it. He's obviously attempting to undermine it. But so when they come in and says, well, there's nothing left. He says, well, so be it. The prophets had said this is what's going to happen. Uh, then we have in 1 Kings 13, the prophet that had been disobedient, if you remember the story. He had been disobedient, and the other prophet lied to him, and then he's killed on the road. He's not buried. He said he will not be buried. because He's not going to be buried with his father because of his disobedience. And then to uh, Jeroboam's line, Baish's line, Ahab's line, dogs will eat their bodies. They will not be buried. So to not be buried was to be refuse on the ground and to be fodder for, for wild animals. Which is really kind of one of the three ways in which bodies have traditionally been eliminated. It's been through burial, through cremation, or through just setting them out and letting dogs eat them. You know, that's, that's always been in many cultures a viable means of uh, getting rid of corpses. So now what are the biblical arguments for burial? First, burial is definitely the biblical norm. And let me go through some verses for you. Beginning at Genesis 23:19, Abraham buries his wife Sarah. 25:10, Abraham is buried with his wife Sarah. 35:8, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and buried. Genesis 35:19, Rachel died and was buried. Genesis 35:29, Isaac's sons Esau and Jacob buried him. 47:30, Jacob tells Joseph what I read: uh, "Take my bones up here and bury me." Miriam, Aaron, Moses, Eleazar, Gideon, all the judges, Samuel, Saul and his sons, Asahel, Abner, Ishbosheth, David. Bury, 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 buried, all of them. And I'm betting that all the ones that aren't mentioned were buried. It isn't like, you know, oh, all the rest were burned, of course. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Matthew 14, 12, John the Baptist, buried. Matthew 27, 57, Jesus, buried in Joseph's tomb. Acts 5, 5 to 10, even Ananias and Sapphira, who had uh, defied the Holy Spirit, buried, given honors in death. Burial is a biblical honor. In 1 Kings 14, Jeroboam's wife disguises herself and goes to Ahijah, the prophet, to, to see if her son will live because he's sick. And you remember this. Oh, this is just incredible. Let me read this. This poor woman. 1 Kings 14, uh, and I'll read 6 to 13. 1 Kings 14, 6 to 13. And so it was when Ahijah, this is the prophet, heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door. He said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. 
she's disguising herself, and he already has been told by God that she's coming. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have, for I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die." And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. The only one of Jeroboam's seed, is he, God promises, will be buried. All the rest will be eaten in the streets of the cities and eaten by the birds out in the fields. So, now what are other arguments for burial? There's plenty that's, that's not in the Bible. First, it's historical practice. Jews buried their dead for millennia. And from Abraham to Jesus, we see it. And their practice is still very simple. I had a Jewish neighbor about 10, 11 years ago who died at 44. And their practice is that body's in the ground within 24 hours. They have someone sit with them around the clock for those 24 hours after the initial death. They prepare the body for burial, and then they bury it. Very simple caskets, very simple services. It's just that simple. And that's Jewish tradition. Why can't we have traditions that are that simple and that long-lasting? And uh, this guy wasn't even devout in, in that way, but yet they treat their dead consistently and have done so for thousands of years. Christians practiced burial from Jesus to the mid-20th century. There is a man by the name of Julian the Apostate that hated Christians. He lived in the 4th century, and he wrote that the popularity of Christianity was due to three things. Love for one another, their truthfulness, and the way that they treat their dead, the way that they honor their dead. The catacombs were extensive underground burial grounds for Christians. They would carve these little alcoves out of the rock and place all of these coffins with all these bodies in the catacombs. Early Christians faced persecution because of the way that they honored the dead. The pagans in France that they were opposing would, would take Christians, kill them, and then do what we now do voluntarily. They would burn them, crush them, spread them in the river. They didn't want the Christians getting to that body because they knew that the Christians honored their dead in ways that they did not want them to be allowed to do so. Now, the question I have is this, and it's silly. When you read this on the Internet, you find these things. Can God resurrect those that are cremated? Of course. You know, it's just silliness. Yeah, I can understand that question being asked in very, very superstitious cultures. But in our culture, it's just really silly. We have way too much knowledge of Christianity and depth, honestly, of understanding of the Bible. Even though people grow up without knowledge of the Bible, we still our cultural norms are still just uh, pervasive, pervaded with Christian thought, Christian uh, truth. So now... What are other arguments for burial? 
First, I would point you to the symbolic significance. Both of these terms, cremation and cemetery, are from the Latin. Cremation is cremare, and it means to burn or consume with fire. Cemetery is from the Latin soemeterium, sleeping place. So the cemetery and uh, uh, cremation, crematorium, they're just so fundamentally different terms. And it's exactly what the Bible has in store for us. Listen to this. Jesus referred to the dead as asleep. And I won't bother reading, but in Matthew 9, 23 to 25, he'd been asked to come see this girl. And the mourners are already there. They're wailing and, and, you know, they're hired. And so they're doing their job. But he says, get out of here. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laugh him to scorn. But then he brings her back. Now, was she truly sleeping? No. We know that. She was dead. He's just telling them, you don't understand the veil that exists between life and death. You think you know, but you don't. Yes, you've seen everybody die, and then they go away. They never come back. But he was essentially telling them, that's going to (laughs) change. I'm here to change it. So, in John 11, 11 to 14... Uh, he stays with his disciples for a few more days after he's been told by Mary and Martha that Lazarus is dying. And then he tells his disciples, even before he's gotten word again, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. We're going to go to him. And they say, well, if he's just sleeping, why do we need to go to him? Why don't we go do this other stuff that you've said we need to do? And he tries again, fails again. He, Lazarus is dead. Okay, you get me now. See, you might be tempted to believe that this sleeping is just was a common term in his culture. no. Jesus introduced it, and he made it stick. The Christians that came out of that era all understood this now. They knew that to be dead was to be sleeping in the Lord. And so they treated their dead with the respect that you would treat a sleeping person. They didn't grind them up. They didn't burn them up. They regarded them as if they were sleeping. It isn't to say that 50, 100, 200 years later, those bodies weren't rotted away. I'm just saying that that's how they treated the body because they knew the body would come back. And it's honoring to Jesus to do that. Now, John Murray wrote this about death and burial. Believers are dead in Christ. They sleep through Jesus. So what is laid in the grave is still integral to the person who died in and during death. The person is identified with the dissolved material entity. So see, we bury a person. We want that person to be thought of in our heads as that person that we buried. Not spread as ash over a lake. Not disappearing into the great oneness of the universal godhood or whatever. Matthew 8.22 reads, let the dead bury their own dead. Remember Jesus said this. He had called one of the disciples and, and, and that was his response. I need to go bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now there are two things you can take from this. One is this. Is it prescriptive? Is this a verse that I, believing in burial, can go to to say, this verse proves it. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You're not supposed to cremate them. I could say that, couldn't I? But the person who believes in cremation could say, but look, he's disparaging of the practice. He's saying, who cares about that dead flesh? But see, Jesus' point wasn't either one of those, was it? So I won't use it, and I won't let anybody who's advocating cremation use it. What was his point? His point was just one of priority. The priority is that you must serve the Lord first. And I'm calling you to serve me. I want you to abandon all of your earthly practices that interfere with your immediate service of me. 
And so that's all that verse is about. It has nothing to do with, with whether we should bury or not. Last page. Burial, uh, all of these funeral services and stuff, they are a, they are a societal act. They're not antisocial. They're a societal. You're out there in society. What we do with our dead reflects who we are as a people. Intimately. You can't escape that. That's the reality. Now I, we'll see if I can make it through this part. A couple months ago, I watched this movie, Taking Chance. And if you haven't seen it, I really urge you to watch it. It's very honoring. It, it chronicles the story of a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. I believe that was his grade. But he's at his office in Quantico. He'd been in battles before. He was actually over in Kuwait in the first Gulf War. And uh, he'd been in battles. He had these ribbons. And he feels bad about not being over in Kuwait and Afghanistan. So he's looking at the dead, and he finds a guy who was from his own hometown in Colorado. And so he volunteers to be the escort that escorts this young man's body to his home. And uh, he finds out early on that though that is where the boy had been born in Colorado, he actually lived in Wyoming. And so he was going to have to take the body to this little town in Wyoming. And he's like, okay. But all along the way, it's just amazing. Uh, I read a little brief article on this, and the guy that wrote up this article said, you know, uh, Taking Chance violated pretty much every mark of a movie. You had no villain. Uh, you had no plot, really. All you did, and, and I was thinking that myself when I started watching it. I thought, you know, this is going to be a really boring movie. Oh, anything but. And so you see him, what's referred to as giving honors. Every time the body changed means of transport or modes of transport, he had to give honors, which meant that he would have this really slow salute as the body is moving. And essentially, his salute would time itself to the body being moved from the one vehicle to the other. And, and all along the way, he uh, runs into all these people at the airports and at the various places you know, that, that the body is being moved to just stop stop all that they're doing to watch him. And really, he said that regardless of the people's view of the war, whether they opposed the Iraq war or not, he said these people were moved. He said they really uh, paid this uh, honor to this young soldier who had fallen. He was like 19 years old. So uh, this ritual is not long for our military services, I don't think not with cremation sweeping the nation like it is. Bodies are going to come home in little boxes, I think, very soon, for the convenience. We're a convenience-driven culture, and we are not going to see the money expended on shipping dead soldiers home like we do now. It's just going away. It's going to be budget-cutted. Now, my surprise. Now, this I didn't say this was a good surprise. Sometimes surprises are not good. More could be said about cremation versus burial. I mean, it really, I, I mean, as I was developing this, I thought, well, I'm going to run out of time. And, and I actually, I went to six pages. Normally I have five, so I'm already probably over time. But uh, more can be said. There's a lot that the Bible has to say about this. So I urge you that if you still believe that Christian liberty allows you to cremate your loved ones, I urge you to consider this. To you who believe that you're free to cremate your loved ones, I would say this too. 
biblically, you're also able to eat them. Cannibalism and cremation are very similar, similar biblically. It's what we do with dead bodies. The Bible nowhere prohibits us from eating people. It does prevent us from killing people, but it doesn't say we're not allowed to eat them. We're not commanded to eat people, but hey, if it doesn't say we're not allowed to, then perhaps that's just a liberty we have. There are biblical examples of cannibalism that are not condemned. I mean, you can read in the Bible, and it does not condemn those that are eating bodies. But what I will tell you is this. Christianity swept the world, the known world, after Christ was resurrected and after the apostles spread. In every culture that was identified with cremation, as Christianity took root, cremation evaporated. In every culture where cannibalism was practiced, once Christianity took root, it evaporated. So I equate the two. I know it seems silly, but I believe it. If you study both scripturally, the same liberty that would allow you to cremate your loved one will allow you to eat your loved one. And 150 years ago, I would say that people, Christians in this nation, would have been aghast if you had considered that they should cremate their loved ones. And even still, when polled, people don't mind themselves being cremated, but they typically poll lower at wanting their loved ones cremated. They still have that respect for the body. They don't want to see it destroyed like that. Themselves, they're gone. They don't care. Do with me what you will. I don't really care. You know, that's what they say. But when it comes to their loved one, no, no, don't do that. So now our bodies also belong to God. They belong to God in life and they belong to God in death. Do you have the right to do with other people's bodies as you will in this life? No. You're guided by Scripture. You are bound by Scripture. Do you have the right to do what you will with dead bodies? No. Scripturally, I don't believe you do. That body is God's. You should do what God wants you to do with it. I don't believe the Bible allows for creation, and I hopefully have convinced you at least to consider my argument if you'd believed in cremation when you walked in here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would guide us by it, that we would embrace it, that we would not find ourselves fighting against you, that we would want to embrace the truth of your word. Father, if we are allowed to cremate our loved ones, then please show us from Scripture that that's allowed. But if we are to bury our loved ones, we pray, too, that you would show us that. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you for your presence, and we ask you to go with us in Christ's name.